This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got looks. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls who read. Hello, sad girls. Hello, sad girls. (laughs) We covered the most heartbreaking book, and it's so interesting, like... There's different kinds of heartbreak and Keith kept being like, oh, is this like a little life sad? And I was like, it's different because it's real. It is so real. And it's one of those things where it's so unthinkable. You read it in disbelief, but this actually happened to a person. It has to be one of the cruelest things to ever happen. And she says that throughout. She's like, why did I survive? Like she would have rather not survived yeah because it was so unthinkable and it's not just one person her husband it's not just her kids it's her fucking kids parents and like unthinkable loss yeah for anyone who doesn't know wave is a memoir it was one of the 10 best books of the year by the new york times book review and I'll read the back. So in 2004, at a beach resort on the coast of Sri Lanka, Sonali D and her family, parents, husband, sons, were swept away by a tsunami. Only Sonali survived to tell their tale. This is her account of the nearly incomprehensible event and its aftermath. Mm -hmm. So in in 2004, there was a massive tsunami while they were staying at at a hotel. And the hotel was right on the sand. And the book opens to her describing the wave. Yeah. People can exaggerate weather conditions sometimes. So you don't know something like that's even possible. Right. She was saying Steve was in the bathroom and he's like, hold on, hold on. While the tsunami wave is barreling towards them. And that first sentence, she says, I thought nothing of it at first. So... You're in a hotel room. You see this wave, this massive wave getting closer and closer and closer. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, it's about to hit land. What do you do? I don't know, Allegra. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, like, just how massive it must have looked and how it didn't seem like she was thinking. She was just kind of reacting. Like she said, she ended up grabbing her kids and her husband and ran towards a car but she didn't stop at her parents' room. And I think a part of her knew, like, there wasn't time. We, I think your body, I think that's the purpose of the sympathetic nervous system. Mm. When that gets activated and you go into fight, flight, or free, it's like, it's oh, it's hard to access logic in those moments because your body takes over. What would you have done? I mean, run like fucking hell. But, like, if been, you had your kids and your husband, like, how would you, like... I would have scooped the kids, pulled the husband, and run. But it's it's almost like, what do you do, you know? And luckily, they had the Jeep to try to drive away. But then 
And who picked them up in the Jeep? I was so confused where this Jeep came from. I think that Jeeps were just waiting outside of the hotel, which makes a lot of sense because it's Sri Lanka on the... I think that's probably their version of a taxi. Yeah, I think that that's probably their version of a taxi. Okay. So the Jeep turns over and then she feels something crushing her chest. And what was that? She never really explains exactly what that was. I assume it's like water i think it was the water so she was basically like sucked under think about when you're in a riptide but eighteen thousand times that so she was pulled under have you ever been in like the ocean where it like takes you under and you're and you're like worried oh my god riptides yes it's so beyond scary it's so you have no you can't fight against that no and the more that you fight the more energy that you lose And she's fighting and fighting and fighting to hold on to her boys to, mm-hmm. like, stay alive. And so she grabs onto the tree. Thank God How for the tree. wild was that? If she hadn't grabbed onto the tree, she wouldn't have survived. She wouldn't have survived. And I think, doesn't she talk about wishing she hadn't? Yeah, she's like, I wish I hadn't. For the first, like, years, she's like, I wish I hadn't have. Right. I did not so, want to be here. So she basically is pulled out of the water. Her pants were off, correct? Yes. And her family's gone. So it goes from in probably a span of, what, a minute and a half? Yeah. Sees the wave, runs with her family to the Jeep. The wave pushes the Jeep over. She's underwater. Her family's gone. She must have felt like, how is this happening? I'm sure, I mean, it did take her brain so long to catch up with what was actually happening. And she was holding out hope until she just really couldn't. Oh, well, she describes it as a dream. Yeah. She feels like she's in a dream. It's so surreal. How do you go from the day after Christmas, Boxing Day, with your family, to being underwater in a tsunami, now separated from your entire family? And, like, in pain, unthinkable. Like That keeps coming back to me. Like, unfathomable. One of the most remarkable books I've ever read. No, it's so true. And then what gets so... This part, I mean, the whole entire book shook me, but... When she gets taken to the hospital and there are all of these people there waiting to identify family members. And a couple of things stood out to me. Number one is when she's looking around at the other kids going, well, they probably survived because they were because they're fat. Mm -hmm. Not like my kids who are really frail. And she's so unapologetic because that's Mm -hmm. exactly how she was feeling at that time. And that brings you you would assume that you would judge someone for that, but you don't because you're in. She does such a great job of painting the story and painting how devastating it felt. And she's so desperate for any sign of her kids that she just all of her guards are down. She's like these fat kids. But you know what? I would have thought the same thing. Oh, for sure. When you're grieving like that, it feels so unfair. And I think your mind looks to every single thing that feels Mm -hmm. unfair. Well, if only they weren't as tiny, if only they Mm -hmm. had more weight on them. So it it doesn't even necessarily feel like a judgment about the kid being fat. It's more Mm -hmm. so how did this kid fucking survive and not my kid? The reasoning, it felt like she was reasoning a lot. Why Why this? Well, if this happened, then this wouldn't happen. She, she, she went through all the stages of grief, and I thought she explained them really beautifully. She was in denial at first. Imagine being at that hospital and every new truck that gets brought in, you're waiting to see if your husband and two kids are there. How just relentless that pain has to be. There, I can't. I can't. I, I, no. And then they're like, can we treat your cuts? 
She's like, my cuts. My I've. She's like, my family is fucking dead. I don't care about my cuts on my feet. Oh my gosh. I know I'm you trying. weren't there, Allegra, and this hasn't happened to you. But I was thinking, if you were in her position, do you think you could? I think everyone says, like, I could never have done that. But I guess, like, that was her only choice was to survive. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, that was her only choice. And I don't know how she did. No. If I'm being honest, I don't know how she did. I mean, I hate to say this, but I think I would probably kill myself. Yeah. Your husband and your two children are dead. I was thinking about that over and over. I was thinking, I wish I, I would wish I could be as strong as her. I don't think I could be. I don't think I could either. I don't. And I, I think it's hard because you never know until you're that, until you're in that position. Mm -hmm. But how do you overcome that? How do you live the rest of your life without your two kids and your husband? It took her so long and it took her like her community around her to truly hold her up and make sure she wasn't trying to kill herself. Yeah. The other thing is, so the way that she writes about grief is so Mm. poignant. She talks Mm. about how she doesn't want to take a sleeping pill. She says, Mm -hmm. I sleep. If I sleep now, I'll forget. I'll forget what happened. I'll wake Mm. believing everything is fine. I'll reach for Steve. I'll wait for my boys and then I'll remember. And that Mm. will be too awful. I I dog eared a page really close to that because she's 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 saying and she wants to stay in the suspension of being confused before she says that she says she wants to sit in the back of the van and just like not acknowledge the truth remember what she used to know and not acknowledge what's actually happening and I feel like that's so natural for someone yeah and I think especially when there's not a concrete answer she what she I mean I'm sure she assumed that Mm -hmm. at that point so this is in the six months after i'm sure she assumed that when they didn't arrive to the hospital they were dead but i Mm -hmm. think until you have that confirmation a part of you still holds on to that hope totally totally that maybe they're just somewhere else maybe they got taken to a different city maybe they're x y and z and that hope is probably a maladaptive and maybe not even maladaptive that hope is probably a brain's way of trying to keep a person alive and it's mm-hmm. also the denial stage of grief. Like, this isn't actually happening. This couldn't be happening. Right. Do you think her not wanting to sleep? I know it's part of grief and I know it's part of like holding on to those memories, but it kind of feels a little compulsive the way she related to sleep in that way. I mean, I think I get it in the sense of not wanting to be sucker punch in the morning. You know, when mm-hmm. you, yes. like, even think living with OCD, right? Yes. And you wake up and maybe you have that two seconds of bliss where you don't remember the pain of the day before and then boom, it hits you. Yes. I think that's what she was trying to avoid. Mm. It's like if I go to sleep and then have to wake up without Steve next to me, that is going to be fucking excruciating. I just want to give her the biggest hug. I just love her. The biggest hug. I love her so much. So She's taken to her family's, her aunt's house, and they are just watching over her. They hide all the knives. They make sure she's eating, but she's really just holed up in her room, which understandably I would be too. I feel like she did her grief like the right way. I feel like she couldn't have done anything else. Do you as a therapist looking at the way she grieved have any 
any notes for (laughs) imagine no I mean I feel like there's not a right way to grieve but she absolutely grieved and you can see like you said so many of the different stages that she moves through I think it's remarkable that she didn't kill herself because she really wanted to Mm -hmm. many times she she would google how to kill herself Mm mm-hmm it's not and funny, that also feels like an escape, right? When your pain is so prevalent in the present moment, even suicidal ideation, it's like, okay, well, there is a way out mm-hmm. if I ever need that, if this pain becomes too much to bear. And she had no control. So she's like, I can control making a plan to mm-hmm. get out of here, which mm-hmm. is understandable. The other thing that just wrecks me so they go back and and she's walking through all of the rebel trying to find something of her this ruined my life i mean you have to be completely dissociated to be able to walk through rebel where people had died and look for remnants of your family that isn't with you and then she started looking for the birds that Molly would look for. And she felt she said it was like compulsive. She needed to see them before she could leave. And I totally I feel like she might have thought it as like a sign that he was still there or just some sort of connection to them. I yeah. absolutely understand. And so she got confirmation that her mom and dad died. Mm-hmm. But Steve and Mal on page 39 were still like unaccounted for. And she says, how can I accept that Stephen Mao just vanished, that there will never be any proof? How can I tolerate something so absurd? But then all that was reasonable in this world had been blasted by that wave. Like that is it's like every single part of this is so unfathomable. But how do you just not have an answer as to where someone is if they're alive? It's I'm speechless. I know this sounds fucked up of me but it it's like really hard it was really hard to read this and it's really even hard to talk about it because i just feel like i don't want to disservice her experience by i don't want to like dissect me like i don't like i feel bad even asking that grieving question no i mean i think this book touched a lot of people and funny enough that's how she met her current i know tldr she's married to fiona shaw that gave me a like rush a i was giggled i squealed um allegra tell me about this on page 84 so she's drinking she's taking ambien to deal with everything that's happening yeah and she says she was mad at steve she said why don't you go to the house for a change steve you can rattle the beds and yell because she was this was when she was stalking the old neighbors at their place she's like why do i have to be the fucking ghost and i didn't even think about that but it totally makes sense the person left behind yeah they survived but they also were left behind and they're alone i just and their bodies this destroyed me to even think about were excavated from a mass grave and then dna testing was done on them and that's how she found out that steve and molly were dead like how fucked up is it that your loved one is literally taken out of a mass grave not a grave specifically for them a mass grave she didn't really touch on 
therapy in this book, did she? No, she didn't, which is interesting. Like, I'm sure she had to have had therapy. I really want to talk to her and ask, because how the actual fuck do you go through this and not have, like, extensive therapy? Oh, and I I think as a therapist, I would feel so ill-equipped because there's nothing that you can say to make the situation any better. It really is a lot of holding space for the pain, holding space for the trauma, holding space for the grief, because there just truly isn't anything that you can say. I would feel so ill-equipped. If you did feel equipped, like if you were the correct therapist for her, imagine you'd had all those qualifications or whatever, like for trauma and how, like what kind of work would you do? A lot of grief work, so much grief, being able to accept and process those feelings mm probably a grief group. So being with other people, but this is what I could imagine happening. And here's the thing. It's so common with grief. I can imagine her being in a grief group and someone's there and they say, you know, my, I don't know, grandfather just died. And I could imagine her thinking, cause my brain would go to this. Your grandfather had his whole fucking life to live. My young, young child died in a tsunami. So I think even grief can become mm-hmm. comparative in that way. And I also feel like I've heard a lot that losing a child is the most painful thing ever for a mother or a father, but especially a mother. I feel like mm-hmm. she should be or hopefully she wasn't a like motherless, no, a childless mother support group because if anything mm-hmm. else you can't you it can't be like my grandpa like God bless your grandpa, but this is a little different. It's And then it's not just your kids. It's your fucking husband and your parents. That's what gets me. And then you have to go back and look at, like, everything is a reminder mm. of them. I think that that's also what's difficult is she looked at, like, as something as simple mm. as the spoon in her kitchen evoked a memory. And that has to just be so traumatic. It took her six years to go back to London, right? Something like that. You know what else I thought was interesting that I wanted to ask you? So on page 112, she says, when I had them, they were my pride. And now that I'm, I lost them, I'm full of shame. I was doomed all along. I am marked. There must be something very wrong about me. Mm. These were my constant thoughts in those early months. Why else did we have to be right there just when the wave hit? Why else have I become this shocking story, this wild statistical outlier? Or I speculated that I must have been a mass murderer in a previous life. I was Hmm. paying for that now. Mm. That, when I read that, felt so much like obviously very different. And I'm not comparing these two things, but like my experience with OCD and POCD in particular. Totally. Like I must be cursed. To have this like seemingly rare form of OCD Mm -hmm. that not a lot of people have. And I'm getting these unwanted sexual fucking intrusive thoughts about kids. Mm -hmm. Like, what did I do? I started to think about like, was it because I was mean to someone in high school? Was it like, you almost feel like it's a karma thing. You like, you rationalize. Well, right. Because how on fucking earth are you that one person? How are you there when the tsunami hits? How are Mm -hmm. you the only one in your life that you know with POCD? You know, That's so interesting you said that because I talked about this in therapy a couple of weeks ago where this is nothing like this situation. I want to preface that. But we had a bunch of like disasters happen with our apartment a few years uh-huh. ago. 
And every time they would happen, it happened like three times in a row. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what horrible luck horrible luck like how does that happen to you and you start to like internalize that and oh it is happening to me but my therapist brought up a great like what if you didn't look at it like what if these were just things that were happening and you don't attach yourself and make it personal because it's not personal it's something Uh, isn't that the hardest it's so hard but you know what i fucking hate what people say when you're going through something i don't know how you go through that like i could never deal with that I hate that. But you know what's so funny? We're saying this about Sonali. But I think, does it make you feel like other people pity you? The pity and the like, oh, well, maybe I should just die because apparently like... Maybe I should just not No, seriously, because it's like, oh, if they couldn't deal with it, maybe I'm not equipped to deal with it. And maybe I... You know what I mean? Yes. Like, oh, I don't know how you deal with, you know, not having close family or literally I think it makes me feel lesser than is I think what it like you're somehow like above me because you are abundant and I am lacking that's what I feel like totally absolutely and then it feels unfair like well fuck you because somehow the universe made me go through this thing and it's like it's probably not the universe it's probably x y and z but just fucking how could that be your luck or the story that you told me last night the woman on Broadway whose kid got hit they got hit in the middle of the road by a car how are you in that spot at just that time for your child to die and things happen like that all the time and i really think learning how we talk to people when they are going through situations that are really difficult i feel like everyone should go through a course because even when people like you lose someone you lose a pet you lose a human you lose whatever saying i don't know how you're doing that like i would just came it like don't say that because that is not the correct thing to fucking say yeah you know what's wild too is i'm on i literally have my book open to exactly what you're saying on page 114 she says i'm in the unthinkable situation that people cannot bear to contemplate mm. i hear this occasionally a friend will say i told someone about you and she couldn't believe it was true couldn't imagine how you must be. And I cringe to be bereft in a way that cannot be imagined. That. Even though I do wonder how impossible this really is. That. And then she talks about, oh my God, the woman on the plane next to her. Like, I'm so in favor of not fucking asking people nosy questions. Do you have children? Are you married? Oh, it must be so good. You're dedicated to your career. Do your parents live there? What is your family doing for Christmas? Any big, like, why are you asking this to a stranger? I wanted to punch that woman in the face. And then she says, I just fucking love her writing style and her like brutal honesty. She says, oh, shut up, you nosy cow. I think (laughs) you will probably faint if I tell you. You'll have to pull down your oxygen mask. Literally. Fucking mic drop. I hate those questions. I And I think that they often get asked to women. I hate going to a fucking gathering and it's, are you dating anyone? Do you have a partner? Like, shut the fuck up. How about that? There should be a list of questions that you just are not allowed to ask. It should be published in a journal. A thousand percent. Or, oh, how are you still single? Mm. Bitch.
This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. I also feel that she struggled a lot with protecting her mental health in the years after. She says on page 115 where you were, how can I reveal this to someone with those who know my story? I talk freely about us, but when people don't, some people feel like they're entitled for you to share your deepest trauma with them and how I, it must've been so hard for her to learn how to protect her peace, who to tell, not lie about her truth, but not tell it to anyone everywhere. How did she navigate that? I mean, she had to have had a therapist. There's no way that she had to have. I, Oh my God, this is, this is going to make me cry. This is so sad. Where she says, mom, sometimes they find it hard to believe that I was their mom. The stuff that got me the most was the way I thought her writing was so beautiful and the way she described both of her kids and their really unique personalities and just the little things they used to do. It it fucked me up. It I was scream crying on the train. Oh, my goodness. You know what else? She blames herself. She's like, why did I bring them there? But I let my children go when I was their mother. As if that's her fault. So what stage of grief is that when she's like blaming? Is that the is there a blame stage? I should know this off the top of my head, but it's too late in the day. Yeah, I know my brain is coming out my ears. I'm not alive. Oh, my gosh. Like right here. The pen marks on their wall to measure their boys heights. How do you live in a world where everything is a reminder? How? Okay, so that specific scene really fucked me up. I used to measure my height on a wall, and I can just see like how meaningful it is to look at yourself through the years by pen. And then she saw on her couch, Vic had written, this is the worst day of my life. And she was like, oh my God, did I miss something? Was he like upset at school? Was he getting bullied? And then under it, it was the football score. He was so obsessed with football. They had lost that day. so sweet. These kids. You know what else is, these are going to be vastly different topics, but she sees all of Vic and Mal's friends who are growing up, and then she sees Vic and Mal through them. How would you feel having to watch your kids' friends grow older when your kids couldn't? I think that would be the hardest part, honestly, because especially when she saw them go through puberty, she's like, I never got... To see Vic smell bad or grow facial hair. That part really fucked me up. And I can imagine anyone that loses someone compares in that way. Even if it's like a parent, they lost a parent young. They look at other friends with older parents like you get to see them be grandma. You get to see them walk down the aisle. You get to see etc. Do you? Okay, you know how Molly was talking about his previous family (laughs) oh my god i was screaming do you believe that is that possible well i had imaginary friends so i don't rule it out okay 
there was a lot of things that she said that were eerie. Eerie. Yeah. That yeah. Like that he was like kind of psychic in some ways. Do you believe he had another family? I mean, I think in some ways perhaps it was him foreseeing something, but maybe that is just me wanting to believe that. Oh my god, she opened Steve's diary too. Oh no. How oh my goodness. Oh, but I do love the change she went through from not being able to look at any of their things to going and looking at their things and it feeling really comforting and her wanting to see every bit of them. Didn't her she wanting wear to Steve's read. like shirt. Oh, I didn't know what Steve looked like for so long. I didn't realize he was white till the very end. I know. I don't think I picked up on that either. I looked up their photo. They're so freaking cute. That destroyed me. That destroyed me. I know. And how the two of them met. I know. He like pursued her. We love a pursuant king. I'm a pursuing king. I'm a pursuant king. At this point, and I'm not. I am not. Well, this book... I don't want to like go through every single like event that happened because it feels like I want everyone to read it and go through it for themselves. But I will say this book left me with a feeling that I haven't felt in a long time. I've had nightmares every day this week. <gasps> Do you think it's from this? Yes. It, On it, it, oh, God. it penetrated my soul. It shook me to the core. And I think that's a testament to Sonali's writing. I think she's incredible as a human as a writer i want to meet her i want to i know friend. wait and, and now she's with fiona shaw which is okay that's epic that is epic. epic and the reason that they're dating is because fiona read the book and wanted to reach out fiona was so moved by it okay i need a book on that story i need her to write another book on how they got together a hundred million percent put it out i will buy the shit out of it i think that you should read the end part out loud yeah read the whole last page because it's so sad okay i'm reading the last page and i'm gonna try not to cry and now i remember how molly would describe and define me and how i'd protest We are three boys and one girl, three boys and one girl, he'd say, explaining his family, working out our composition as he hopped across the paving stones on the patio. Then he'd recite our names, even referring to himself as Nikhil, his given name, and not (laughs) as Mali, as he was always called. Steven Lissenberg, Vikram Lissenberg, Nikhil Lissenberg, and Mummy Lissenberg, he'd announce with aplomb. Mummy Lissenberg, I'd roar in exaggerated objection, my new credentials. Me having no identity without these three boys to whom I was merely tagged on. Molly, why do you get both get both my names wrong? You got everyone else's right. That's that's not me. Steve enjoyed our son's account of me, of course. He egged him on. Clever boy, Mal, spot on. You're exactly right. You tell it like it is. So Mummy Lissenberg, Molly would chant. And the three silly boys would fall over laughing. Now I sit in this garden in New York and I hear them jubilant, gleeful in our lawn. It's so sad. It's so sad. I literally can't. Oh my God. It's, and like, 
it's so because she's talking at the very end about her identity like who Mm -hmm. i am now and it's so interesting because she like she didn't want to be defined as the mom and now she's like oh my god Mm -hmm. i'm so happy that that i'm their mom and she'll always be their mom it's so sad i like could not breathe like my friend (laughs) my friend gets like weird when people cry and it's so funny and i was crying and she was like I don't know what to do. I, like, I couldn't breathe. Honestly, it was probably just as much as a little life when I finished this. Oh, 100%. I was on the train and someone looked over and they were like, they looked like they were going to ask me if I was okay. And I was just like, <laughs> you were like, <gasps> so I joined a bowling league. Speaking of Sporty Spice, I'm so bad. When is it? Tuesdays. I'm horrible but i was reading this at the bar in the bowling alley and someone's like what are you reading and i was crying in a bowling alley reading this so that's fun for me good job aaron sad allegra plays soccer i bowl sporty spice i do not want to play tomorrow night so good but i committed i it's a good activity to meet other people it is and to expand my social circle but the game's at 9 p.m tomorrow Oh my god, the bowling started at nine. I was like, I'm too old for this. Okay, okay. So that's like common, I guess. See, I feel the same way. I'm like 9 p.m. fucking soccer. In what world is that? I guess maybe they get cheaper prices the later. I don't know. Probably, but I'm like, bro, nine? Yikes. Nine? There's no more 7 p.m. games. Every game is at eight or nine. Allegra dives for the ball. I saw a video. No, I go so hard. And this is a new team that I I don't know any of them. I got recruited last week. Wait, you're playing two teams now? I I was just subbing for the last one. And so the other team came up to me after the game and they said, can you like join our team? I was shook. Okay, this book is devastating. What would you rate it? Absolutely five out of five. Five out of five. What I have to say is what a life turn and again i don't want to speculate about anyone's sexuality but it seems like i i i need to know their love story me too Denali and fiona fiona but it, fiona's one of the greatest actresses like at, like she's like iconic when i went to acting school in london we met her and i was like on the like she's an icon that's so wild like and I, like the way that they both describe meeting each other i think Fiona said, or I have to, there's an article online that people should read, but it said something like, I found my home the day I found Sonali. Dude. And Sonali was the one to propose. But what uh, like a beautiful redemption. If she absolutely. didn't, I'm not saying she went through this, it like all means something, but because right. she got through it, she got to this next chapter where she got to meet her home. And that's beautiful. I'm trying to phrase this and articulate this in the right way. Do you think it would be perhaps easier to marry someone of a different gender? Like, do you think it would remind you less of your Mm. former partner, Steve or no? I have no idea. It seems to me like they found each other. It seems to me. Yeah. That they were, there was just that connection. Was Fiona all, always dating women fiona was always a lesbian okay i believe fiona has always been a lesbian but she says i think she either said or it was in an article online after years of dating men Mm. she meets fiona and And i really do believe yeah i think maybe it was one of those situations where you just meet someone and you fall for them 
that it's happens about the a person. lot. Oh, for sure. And it's like about the person and not like the gender or the sex or Didn't whatever. Didn't happen. Uh, Glennon Doyle, also yes. Elizabeth Gilbert, right? Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's happening a lot with these authors. Is it going to happen to me? I'm an Definitely. author. Um, but God, was this not a profound book? It was profound. It. I say this so much, and I need to work on how many times I say it. But it was okay. I will say it was the memoir that affected me the most. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of our 60 odd books we've read. Yeah. Highly recommend Wave. Sad Girls, if you want to freaking cry, read this. It's also a quick read. Very quick. It's a very, very quick read. The pages are really small and easy to. Which is, as I'm writing my book, it's so interesting looking at the composition of other people's books. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather it be small pages. It's so much easier to digest. To consume. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it's honestly writing a book is extremely hard. That's all I have for us. Well, we know that. And Allegra's going to do an episode about that. (sighs) What book are we reading next? Ooh, let's do What My Bones Know because I'm reading that right now. Okay. So that's next up. Iconic. Two parter because it's very deep. And it's a fucking hard read, too. Sad girls, get ready. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, she really talks about her trauma. Like, her parents tried to kill her. Yeah. Well, fuck. I need, like, a lighter thing, though. I'm going out of town this weekend. Okay, so let's not do that, then. But I could read them in tandem, but I do need, like... It's so... No, I thought about that, too. I was... Last night, I was reading What My Bones Know, and I thought to myself, like, I think I just need a fiction book for a second. Yeah. It gets so heavy. What's lighter, milk-fed or... Oh, absolutely milk-fed. Oh, my God. I would do milk-fed. It's fun. Okay, sad girls. Oh, and sad girls, if anyone knows how to contact Sonali, we really want to talk to her, but... Yeah, we need to get her on the pod. in demands. Fancy. Okay, we love you, sad girls. We'll see you next time. Bye, sad girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our sad girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at sad girls who read and TikTok at sad girls. Good books. We love you, sad girls.